Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Judges today. And as usual, I'm very excited about what we're going to be looking at from Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. Today, we're going to see that God uses ordinary people with different gifts from different backgrounds to carry out his work. That is one of the main points of this passage. Now, earlier we were discussing what types of literature we found the most interesting. So what were some of your answers? Can you shout them out? What's that? Crime books. Crime books. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what else? Autobiographies, okay. True life stories. True life stories, okay. And how many people liked poetry? Okay, more than I was expecting, actually. I mean, I like poetry as well, but. So 43% of the Bible is a narrative. That means like stories. And almost all the stories in the Bible are true stories. But they are like any story, very deliberately and carefully written to make a point, and it's often a theological point, something about God or about us or about the world that God wants us to know. That's why he's included them in the Bible. Then another third, 33% of the Bible, are poetry or songs. And today we're looking at mostly, we're gonna focus on the part that's the story part in Judges chapter four. But it's actually followed in the very next chapter by a song about the same thing. And right off that tells us something really important happened because this is very unusual. There is not that many places in the Bible where you've got a story of something that happened and then you've got a song that is like celebrating and recounting it in poetic artistic form, the same exact incident, like it happened at the Red Sea, but not many other places in the Bible. So this was significant, really significant in the life of the people of Israel, what we're going to read about today. So we're going to take it scene by scene, okay? So I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today because I think it captures the main point quite well. But you can keep your Bible open if you have one because um, we will do a little bits of discussion at our tables here and there as we go. So first part is Judges 4, 1 through 3. And here we get the background and the bad guys. Get introduced to the bad guys of the story. So let me read. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So for those of you who were here last week, Jeff introduced you to this cycle that we see, the rebellion to rescue cycle that happens in this book of Judges. And yeah, there's a diagram, sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace, okay? This is the story of the stories of Judges. And you can see it right here in these verses we just read, right? The people did evil. 
So the Lord removed some of his special protection over them in hopes that they're going to repent and turn back to his covenant love for them. Remember that covenant, the unbreakable promise that they have with God. So this is the point that we're at, sin, oppression, and now they've cried out to God. And the story will continue. Now, these verses also introduce us to the bad guys, the king, the Canaanite king. And more important for the story is his captain, Sisera. He was the instrument of ruthless oppression. Those are the words that are in the passage. Ruthless oppression for the Israelites. And we're also set up for the story because his army is much, much bigger and much, much stronger than the Israelites' army. He has 900 chariots and they're fortified with iron, which was kind of a big thing back then. All right, so we, the odds are definitely in favor of the bad guys at this point. Now, as we continue the story, let's look out for three different factors that are gonna um, come up again and again. So they are God's word, God's people, and God's surprises. Okay, they're gonna come up again and again in this story and they all play a part in God accomplishing his good work, his purposes, his battle against just, injustice in, through this story. So God's word, God's people, and things that surprise us. Okay, so um, if you can go to the next slide, actually, I don't think I marked it on your thing. Yep, here we go. So scene, proper scene one under the palm tree. Let's continue reading verses four from Judges four. Deborah, the wife of Labadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Obinuam, who lived in Kadesh, in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Okay, so now we meet one of the most famous noble, as in good women, of the Old Testament, um, Deborah. So in this time, of course, men are predominantly leading and it's very unusual that we have this woman who is serving as the leader of the people. She is the only female judge in the book of Judges and she's also unique because she's already a leader. Did you get that? At this time, she was judging. A lot of the other stories in the book of Judges, the people are under oppression, they cry out to God, and then he raises up a deliverer. And that person is usually a military leader, primarily. 
After they win the battle and everything, then they might be kind of like the ruler. But they, it starts out with them being the military leader. But she's not a military leader. What is she? Well, she's a wife. She's the wife of Labadoth. That's the way of identifying her, because you notice Barak was the son of Ahinoam, the man. She was probably a mother, um, which we'll find a little bit later in the poem. And she was recognized by the whole Israelite community as a prophet. And in this era, that meant that she heard from God by the Holy Spirit, and God used her to speak to the people. Because remember, they didn't really have much written word of God. Um, and so, and they weren't indwelt with the Holy Spirit like we are now after the coming of Jesus. So this was the way that they heard the word of God. And also Deborah must have had a lot of wisdom and just like this clear sense of justice because people came to her from all over the country and were willing to accept her judgment and her decisions. She's actually the only judge in the book of Judges who actually acts like a judge, like we would think of a judge being. The rest of them were mostly military leaders. She was actually judging things. But did you notice, going back to our three elements of God's word, God's people, and things that surprise us, um, that it's the word of God through Deborah that gets this whole thing moving. That's the first thing. I mean, the people cry out to God, and then Deborah is listening to God, and she hears something, and she, she speaks it, and she acts on it. And that this whole story actually starts and moves on at crucial points when the word of God is, is spoken. And I think, personally, that is one reason why this is a particularly positive story in the book of Judges. And there are not many of them. Most of them are negative, um, negative examples. But this one is a positive one. And because things go better when God's people listen to him when they actually take time to seek him and to listen to him. I mean, today we seek him in prayer and we learn to recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit and we, we read his word, the Bible. But here, Deborah hears from God and she calls Barak and gives him a command, it says in verse six. And along with the command, Barak gets a promise, which interestingly, is not unusual. Um, how many of you have had a time you can think of where God gave you some direction that was maybe a little bit challenging or difficult, but he also gave you a promise that went along with it, something, either something from the Bible or something else that you knew you could count on and it could see you through, okay? It's happened to me a lot of times. And a lot of the commands God gives us in the Bible also have promise that goes along with it. And... So this is what happened to Barak. He got this command. Okay, basically just go out there and, you know, I know that they've got way more people than you and they're way stronger and everything, but you go out and when you go out, I'm going to, I'm going to win the battle for you. <laughs> okay, he got the promise at the same time. He got, he got the command. Um, but then Barak gives this interesting, kind of surprising reply. He says, I will go but only if you go with me. So it seems, like, it seems like he's being a little conditional in his obedience. Maybe, maybe not. So let's take a minute at our tables to discuss 
why do you think, there's no right or wrong answer, okay? We don't know, actually. But use your imagination and your knowledge of human nature as a human being <laughs> to, to think, why do you think Barak said this? Why was this his answer? Deborah gives, gives the command and the promise, and he says, well, I'll go if you go with me. Why do you think he said that? I'll give you about two minutes. Okay. So what are some of the reasons you've thought of? Can you shout them out? He was scared. That's a possibility, definitely. Yeah. What else? Yeah, he didn't trust her. Oh, yeah, that could be true. That could be true. <laughs> what else? Yeah, he wanted her as a figure of authority. Could also be that she gave him legitimacy. That's a possibility because she was perhaps seen more as the leader. Um, what else? Anything else? Maybe um, he wanted to be sure that he was going to take the right step at the right time. And he figured if she was there, she was the one who heard from God. So, you know, then he would be less likely to make a mistake, which could lead to his death or something like that. I don't know. There's various possibilities. Um, but whatever his reasons, let's give him some credit, okay? Because in this culture, even in most cultures, even up until this day, for a man to be like dependent on this woman, especially some like military macho guy, you know, it would, he would probably be seen as being kind of weak by some people. But you know what? He is not a slave to his ego. He does not care. Okay, he is he he wants her to come, and he even before the scene ends, we can see he's really not a slave to his ego because she says to him, "Okay, but actually, you know, not only do you have to go and do this, but you're not going to get all the credit because God is going to hand the the enemy commander over to this woman to a woman," and he still goes ahead and does it. All right. All the people actually in this story who God uses are not concerned about their ego. That is why God is able to use them. And um, the, the scripture actually judges Barak very positively because he's one of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. So I tend to think of him as, I, I tend to judge him quite favorably as well. I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he, even though it sounds like he was saying, well, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I don't care what God said. Maybe it wasn't quite like that. Maybe there was an actual good motivation in his heart um, for, why, for why he said what he did. Okay, so then word, you want to go to the next slide. Word, people, surprises. So God's going to give it over to a woman. Big surprise. How is he going to pull that off? And Barak um, is the person who chooses to obey. All right? And God's word is saying, he's saying, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm moving this, this series of events along. So just listen, to, keep listening to me, and it's going to be okay. All right. So scene two, the battle. Judges 4. 10 through 16. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zanaimim, 
Zananim, there we go, near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Obinuam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harasheth Higoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready, this is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Higoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. So, except for verse 11, which purposefully interrupts things here, and we'll get to that in the next section, this is the battle, right? Now, it's thought, because of some of the imagery in the poem in chapter 5, that one of the ways that God intervened was to send a very unseasonal rainstorm and flood and so some of the iron chariots, which are heavy, got stuck in the mud by the river and the people started to panic and then, you know, they ran and it went from there. But I think the main thing we're meant to notice here is that God was marching ahead of Barak into the battle, even though Barak didn't see the evidence of it until he'd taken those first steps. It said, when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera into a panic. It was as he was willing to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm just, it's all about you. I'm staking everything on, on your word and your promise. Then he saw God come through. So those three elements again, Deborah gives the word of the Lord. The next step is set in motion, but it's set in motion because Barak obeys and trusts God to make good on his promise. And let's not forget about those 10,000 other warriors who also acted and played their part in this drama. This story involved many people who chose to follow God's direction in faith. And the surprise is that the much weaker army overcomes the much stronger army because God did something unexpected and unpredictable so that this could be accomplished. Our God is a God of the impossible. All right? Nothing is impossible with him. And especially when his people are engaged at his word in a battle against injustice and against evil, he comes through in ways that we haven't thought of. Often we can't even imagine what he's going to do. We don't need to know how he's going to solve a problem to ask him to do something. So he is the God of the impossible. So this would seem that it would be the climax of the story. And it almost is. Except there's this unexpected twist in the plot still coming up. So let's read the final scene from Judges 4, starting at verse 17. Remember, Sisera was running away. Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. 
So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Okay. So in stories in the Bible, the main point the author wants you to get is often found in the surprising twist in the plot. Okay. And there is a lot of things in those verses I just read, verses 17 through 23, there's a lot of surprises. So let's take a minute at our tables what do you see? What are some of the things you see that were so unexpected in those verses? You, you might not get all of them. Just see what you come up with in the next like two minutes. What was surprising? Okay, what are we coming up with? What are some of the surprises? Can you shout them out? She was cruel. Yeah, she was very cruel, yes. Quick thinking, mm-hmm. What else? So she was, her husband's found, her husband probably, not her, was aligned with the enemy. She was probably not even an Israelite because she was Moses' brother-in-law. So Moses was not married to an Israelite because he was off somewhere when he got married. And so she was, and they'd moved away from their tribe. So they were kind of distancing themselves from Israel. So she was probably a foreigner. She was a woman. Woman's not really fighting then. She used women's weapons. I mean, which were not really designed to be weapons, although it seemed to work quite well. <laughs> um, you know, so those, those were the instruments of, that women would use, a tent peg and a hammer, because they were the ones who set up the tents. So she just used what she had on hand and what she knew how to use. Um, what else? Yeah, so she defeats him, the strong general, the one who has the iron chariots with a tent peg and a hammer. You see the irony of the way that this is, this is written, okay? She's the weak little woman that nobody's worried about and she defeats the strong general with these things. Um, so there's lots, and there's probably a lot more because there's a lot of cultural stuff happening here that you know we can only we only know about some of it. And it was very inappropriate, by the way, that he went to her tent. He shouldn't have been in her tent in the first place. Although seems like she maybe kind of encouraged him. Maybe she was she was defending her family. We don't know her motivations. Anyway, I think what the the main thing the author wants us to know is this was a surprise to most people. 
I mean, Deborah and Barak were expecting a woman to defeat Sisera, but they didn't know anything about this. This was probably not what they were expecting. That's the place he would have gone to be safe, right? And all of those 10,000 soldiers, especially Sisera himself, this was a big surprise to him. <laughs> um, so this was a surprise to everyone except God. And we know for sure because he says through Deborah, you know, several days earlier, it's going to be, Sisera's going to be handed over to a woman. So when we say surprises, things are not a surprise to God. They're just a surprise to us. <laughs> we don't know what God's going to do some of the time. God is not able to be put in a box and made, he, he always acts in accordance with his character, but he doesn't always act in ways that we can think of or that we think of. So, all right, let's just pull this all together um, because it's an interesting story. I can't say it's a nice story exactly because the tent peg thing gets me a little bit, but it's an interesting story, but what does it have to do with us, okay? It does have something to do with us. Why did God put it in the Bible? So we're gonna go back through these, these three elements just briefly and think about how it applies to us today. So first of all, God's word. The first one was God's word. And God's word must have its place in our lives. Um, if we want to take our place in God's works of justice and mercy, this story is a really good reminder that we, we need to be listening to him. If, um, if any of you don't have a habit of reading and praying every day, you can pick up one of these brochures out there um, on the big three. It gives you some ideas of how you can start. But reading the Bible, spending time listening to God in prayer, building our relationship with Jesus because he's also known as the word of God, the living word of God. These have to have a central part in our lives. And part of listening to God is listening to how he speaks to us through others, which is one of the reasons we come to church or to small group, or we have somebody else that we regularly share and pray with. So the second part, that brings us to the second part, which is about God's people. And it's God's people, plural, right? This is not a story with one hero or heroine. This is a story where God used several different people from different backgrounds to accomplish his part and his work. And each one had their part to play. So we also have our parts to play. Um, my part is not the same as your part. <laughs> and Yours is not the same as mine. We have these natural gifts and these spiritual gifts that have been given to us, and God wants us to use them. Um, if we go just for a second to chapter 5, this is all we're going to look at with chapter 5. I'll just read the first few verses of the poem, because here you really see that even though Deborah and Barak and Jael all played really key roles, it's God who's getting the glory. So on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Obinoam, sang this song. Israel's leader took charge, leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the cloudy skies poured down rain, the mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai. 
in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. God was the one who orchestrated the whole victory. And you know, I think when it comes to us playing our part, I think some of us, we, we have this tendency to either, we think a little bit maybe too highly of ourselves. And if we aren't getting satisfaction or glory from doing something, maybe we feel a bit taken advantage of or something, we just sort of step back. Um, and I think God says to us, well, you know, it's not really about you, it's about me. And you'll find that your significance comes in surrendering to me. I think a lot of us have the opposite problem. We judge ourselves too negatively. You know, we think that who we are and what we have to offer is not that much, actually. And I think God reminds us today that I'm the one who created you, and I'm the one who called you. And your significance is not found in what other people think of you or even what you think of yourself. I invite you to trust me and obey me and to take up your place in my kingdom. So, and the last element we had was the surprises. Yes, never forget, God can do what seems impossible. So I think for us today, if there's something that seems impossible, or maybe it's not quite impossible, but it's still pretty difficult, <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't need to hesitate to bring that to God today, whatever it is. Um, we, don't need, we can ask God for big things for us, but also for our world, for other people, for the things that are on our hearts. And we can seek him for the things that we can't figure out ourselves. That is why he's God and we're not. All right? So he is the God of the impossible. We are not good at solving impossible stuff. But God is an expert at it. And he invites us to cast those burdens on him. So maybe as we close, let's just take a minute or so of quiet to just think about what specifically God might be wanting to say to us today or invite us into? Is it about taking more time to listen to his word, perhaps? Spending time with him, building that relationship with him? Is it being courageous to um, do what we know he's invited us into, even despite how we feel about it, just trusting him that he can use us? Is it something that's hard or impossible in our lives that we want to just offer up to him again? Because he's the God who can do what's impossible. All right, so let's just take a minute of quiet and then um, I'll close in prayer and then maybe um, while we're having fellowship time, if anybody would like to pray with somebody about any of that stuff, then don't leave without doing that because that's how we want to respond to God. So let's just listen for a minute. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.